Welcome to the Parents at Work podcast, a podcast for parents who want to succeed at work while also raising children. I'm Lori Mahalik-Levin, and I'm back with my co-host and amazing husband, Jason Levin. Hey, Jason. Hey, Lori. How you doing? Oh, you know, the last time we were on, uh, I think you had just finished some dental work. And now today we're both recovering from like the world's worst colds. And I think Seriously. they're the world's worst colds because the kids took their masks off in school for the first time. We got the first colds that we've had in like two years. So they're pretty nasty. Anyway, so we're, we're trying to eke through this and hopefully our voices will carry. All right. So in our last episode, we veered off of our normal pattern of interviewing moms and dads in a specific industry or role or sector, because we wanted to talk about an issue that working parents in all different careers and roles and industries grapple with. And that is how household labor gets divided. And we had a really incredibly rich and vulnerable conversation with Eve Rodsky, who's the author of Fair Play and Unicorn Space. And if you haven't listened to that episode yet, go back and do that because you definitely won't want to miss that one. Now, if you know anything about our podcast, you know that we really believe deeply in making sure that both mom and dad perspectives get represented here on the podcast. And so today we are continuing our who does what at home conversation with an amazing dad, Sergio Rosario. Sergio, welcome to the podcast. We're so glad you're here. Thank you for having me. I am delighted to have such a wonderful conversation and controversial, <laughs> yes. but I think spaces like this are required. These spaces are beneficial. Opening spaces like these also open our homes to having very rich conversations. So thank you for opening this space and having me. Well, I look forward to the, the juicy conversation we're about to have. Sergio is a musician, an educator, a fatherhood advocate, the founder of Soy Super Papa. He's the course coach and lead for Mindful Returns Spanish Language Working Dad course, and he's husband to a U.S. Army officer. Sergio, I know your bio could go on even longer, so feel free to fill in the things that I've missed that you think are important, um, but we're so excited to have you here. I happen to know you through our work together on Mindful Return, but my husband, Jason, just met you a few minutes ago. So I'm going to pass the reins over to him to get us started and learn a little bit more about you. So thank you, Lori, and what an incredible intro. And I share Lori's excitement about having you on our podcast. And Sergio, I'm looking forward to getting to know you a little bit more. So first question, where do you live and, and how old are your kids? Wow. I am originally born and raised in Puerto Rico. Life okay. brought me to Virginia uh, nine years ago and uh, life and work. And here I met my beautiful wife in 2015, which she's also from Puerto Rico, born and raised in Puerto Rico. And we met in Washington, D.C. We got married and now we are living in Fayetteville, North Carolina, where Fort Bragg is. But we're still moving back to Virginia, to Charlottesville. So I can say I am a citizen of the world. <laughs> That's awesome. So, so you're both from Puerto Rico and you met in Virginia. How did that happen? Well, it was crazy. I got to say, I'm going to say the honest truth because it's been seven years in July 1st. We met to Tinder. You met through Tinder. Tinder. Okay. <laughs> Excellent. So I've actually been trying to reach that company to say, like, you know, maybe I can work in a success story, like campaign <laughs> or something. Uh, it's been seven years now in July 1st, and we have a wonderful five-year-old daughter named Stella. I think what really 
resonates with this topic and something I know we're going to go on in the next couple of questions, but is that when you meet someone and you know what type of work they do or what type of lifestyle they live, you immediately kind of get some hints of what's to come. In my case, I met a strong, powerful woman who's an attorney and it's also military. So I knew that her career and then me almost 20 years into the military is going to be 19 years in May for her. Wow. I knew she had a longer career and, and was invested. So I knew from the moment I met her, there were some things I was going to have to do kind of like differently in my lifestyle. That's exciting. That is really exciting. So I'm curious as you're growing up in Puerto Rico, Sergio, and I'm a career coach, right? So I'm always curious, what was your first job? What was your first job as like a teenager? What did you do growing up in Puerto Rico beyond just going to school? Wow, uh, that's a really good question. I've done a little bit of everything. I always say no matter where I'm at in the world, I will have the opportunity to work because I've done so many things. But I remember when I was a teen, a teenager, I, I started like offering like car washes to my family members and then neighbors and then other people. And I would take Saturdays like the whole day and, you know, make some money and, you know, buy my stuff. And, you know, I like when you're a teenager, you start getting interested in different things. So I remember I saw this cologne I wanted to buy and I was like, I got to work for it. So, you know, I started doing like car wash and then eventually I got into the music very young. Uh -huh. which was good because I always had, you know, some income coming in and I, I could say I became very independent at an early age, at least independent in the sense that there were things that my mom, a single mother, didn't have to worry about financially because mm. I had this, you know, income as a professional young musician. There were times that she needed to take me to clubs and venues that I wasn't allowed to get in because it was like 21 and over. And I was <laughs> 15, 16 playing with, you know, larger bands. Oh, wow. So what, what instrument do you play? What instrument did you learn to play when you were in high school? I play percussion professionally, but I also play violin, guitar, but percussion is, you know, everything that you hit with your hands or, or stick is kind of like where I dominate. And then mostly Latin percussion. So all the congas, the timbales, bongos, all these like weird toys that you see, like, you know, a guy in the background pulling out and shaking it. Uh -huh. I'm kind of like that guy. That's awesome. That's awesome. So you started with car washes and then you started getting into nightclubs with your percussion instruments. I remember one of the biggest advantages that I had kind of like developing a, a profession this early as a musician was that I got to go to college and I got to travel the world. I remember I had to get a special permit from different, like from the dean so I could go on and tour and then, you know, but professors would assign me the materials to take with me while I was traveling and then, you know, come back and take my tests or write, you know, whatever essay I had to write. But, you know, that gave me a tool where I could use in any part of the world that I'm at. I'm a social worker by profession. That's another thing. However, I always consider myself like like kind of like the Superman, like the social worker is that day job where I'm wearing like, you know, the suit and then I have like the uh -huh. Superman suit, you know inside where I just take the shirt off and I'm like this musician and this person on stage. So that's what keeps me going. 
That's uh, that's amazing. So helping people by day and then, you know, providing joy through music at night. I love it. So as you're going through these, you know, these different worlds, what got you started on your journey to helping parents communicate better? Well, I think that's always kind of like embedded in what I do with, of course, my social work. But I think the issue or kind of like the awareness started when I got the news I was going to become a father. I started looking for information, bilingual information. I like to consume some certain types of products like music or or let's say I like to read in English, but I like to hear my audiobooks in Spanish. You know, kind of like this bilingual dilemma where you consume some stuff in, in one language and, and speak a language at home or or do different things throughout the day. When I started looking for information of around fatherhood, I didn't find much information in my language, so which is Spanish. So when I went to look for information in English, I didn't find that much information either uh, catered to fathers. And, and I think um, that was one of the things that I, I went to my wife and, and kind of brought up and she said, well, you got to do something about it. Like, you know, you can't just sit there and complain like you got the tools. So I suggest you start something. And and that's how it started. It's it started just like that by community built out of need or work built out of, of the need that I had as a future parent and that other parents had. And they never kind of like reach out uh, or started something. That's amazing, Sergio. And it's funny, I I need to meet your wife because I'm reminded of a conversation when Lori had our second and she was out looking for information on, you know, how to manage all this and she couldn't find any. And I remember saying to her, well, what are you going to do about it? So it seems like your wife started something. (laughs) (laughs) So it sounds like Sergio, you and your uh, your wife and I should have a conversation also. So that's amazing. It's fantastic that you took action on that. Kudos to you. Excellent stories of of our partners uh, encouraging us to move in good directions. So let's get to that point about partnership and the household and how it runs. Right, household labor itself seems like a pretty mundane topic. A boring topic even, but yet we know from experience that it is emotionally charged and really critical to the success of relationships. Sergio, what do you think makes it such a critical topic and why do you think it's so full of emotion? First of all, I like to give kudos to you because you recognize, like you describe it pretty well, like it's full of emotions and those emotions, most of the time, they are what drives us as human beings. And if we tend to tap in kind of like the wrong emotions or wrong, something that we've been carrying on for years, something that happened in our families or in our parents' families uh, that was passed on, then those emotions can be pretty negative. When we talk about household labor, I think uh, at least in my house, in my household, you know, Lynn, which is my wife and I, we, we see things as a common goal. We don't have any gender roles assigned. And that's something that we decided in the beginning. For example, if the trash is full, then whoever sees it first takes it out. It's not like, you know, the man takes it out or the woman. Or in my case, I remember there was one time where I was so full of work that I could barely have or make time to take care of a yard because it's huge. And, you know, she was like, I'm calling someone and because it needed to be taken care of. So 
And that took a whole burden of me. And we're like, you know, we're going to take a different approach. This month, I just took my lawnmower out and I just took it as a therapy and I just did it and felt great. But next month, I might not be available. So we're maybe calling a guy. So I think why so emotionally charged? Again, I repeat, it's like we need to break with the narrative, change the narrative, kind of like construct our own rules around it. So it works for us. Who are we as a, as a, we say a couple, as a individual has a lot to do with why this is such a emotionally charged subject. If I could give some advice to the people who are listening, it would be, it would be just, you know, try to kind of like identify the tasks that are really hard to do or are really emotionally charged for yourself and see if you're significant other. That might be an easier task for him or her. That would be something they said, oh, I don't even have to think about it. I can do this with my eyes closed. But of course, there can be some kind of like past experience when you were a child or something. And it just reminds us of so much negative things that that person maybe can take on the task. And if it's a task that's really hard for both of you and compromises your time with the family, with each other, I would suggest find somebody to do it if you have the means to. And everybody's going to be super happy. I found about this kind of like some things were talked about. It was, I always call it the plan versus the unplanned. Some things were planned and some other things weren't planned. And we kind of like improvise and figure out as we, as we grew as a couple. That emotional component is so strong. And we talked about that with Eve as well. It strikes me that couples who tend to do better in this space have a system of some place in place for dividing and conquering, or at least for communicating about what needs to get done. Generally speaking, what's the system in your house? How would you describe it? Well, the system is lots of communication and it's also touching back on checking up every now and then. I remember we had this interview and my wife was an attorney. She said, our system is like a contract and a contract is meant to be revised. (laughs) And it's, you know, and, and I was like, oh yes, that's exactly how it is. So I think setting the parameters on how, what works for you in this time and space Mm-hmm. And then when you start to feel uncomfortable or start to get uh, kind of like overloaded, I always tell people when you're feeling at 75, that's the moment or 70, that's when you moment to have the talk. Because then if the talk is not, uh, you know, a productive talk where it doesn't come quickly, then by the time you have it, you're going to be at 100 or you're going to be mm-hmm. at more and it's not going to be very productive. So in our home, we talk every, I would say every other month where we're at at work. We keep a calendar. We are mindful of each other's like calendar. And if I see she has a lot on her plate or I know she has like some cases at the court, I know she she gets stressed. So I take over most of the things. Mm-hmm. And when she knows I have a lot of like, you know, webinars or I have a lot of work done or gigs at night, she takes over some of them. So I think also the communication and the conversation on how you're feeling and how life work is going also gives you a little hint of that you might need to step up. Also, one more thing in an interview, they asked us what percentage of the household chores you think your significant other does. Mm -hmm. Here's the point where you're sitting next to your spouse, you're facing the camera and you're like, okay, I got to be fair about this one. (laughs) So what did you say? My answer could reflect on her facial expressions like like in a second. And I was like, you know what? I think I do 40%. Okay. And, and of course, you know, I'm the primary household. 
and the caretaker, I work from home. Uh, even though I work remotely, there's some responsibilities that I do have, like my daughter taking her to school, picking up from school, doing household chores that are like, you know, keeping like the main areas through the whole week and the weekend, because this is the area that we use as a family. And I have a five-year-old who might eat a cracker, like, I don't know, like a beaver. And then it makes a, she makes a mess. But I, I said 40 and she looked at me and she was like, kind of like had this smile on her face. And I was like, oh no. And then they asked her and she said 45. And I was like, huh, that is not bad at all. So I think this method of asking your significant other, like what percentage do you think you do? And, and of course, the way that you ask, the setting that you ask, if you're asking this and your household chores are not done, you're getting a 70 or you're getting an, uh, you know, you're getting a 20%. But, you know, you have to ask in the perfect moment. So make time, go out to dinner, get out of the house when you talk about household chores, because there's always something to do at home. So make sure you get out of the house to have these conversations. Yeah, so many good points in there, Sergio. I love your idea of, you know, it goes back to what Ivrodsky says about when emotion is high, cognition is low. When you start feeling that emotion of like, oh my gosh, the world is starting to get overwhelming and I'm, I'm at that 70, I'm at 75, I'm at 80, I'm getting up to this 100% capacity to have the conversation before you get up too high and you can't have the, the emotionally uncharged conversation. I love that. And also the idea to sort of look ahead in your calendar and see, okay, my wife's got these court dates coming up and I've got these things coming up and really have that longer view is really helpful. And then finally, I love the idea of talking about the household stuff when you're not in the household, right? When it's not staring at you in the face. And it's definitely something that I, you know, people listening might think of like, I, I, the importance of these spaces are so good because the scenarios that we're talking about right now, it could be something that somebody, a listener can say, well, I never thought of this. And of course, that feedback, when people comment, when people write, write for the podcast or the commenting, it helps us kind of like get that feedback and, and learn from them what they do. So again, thank you for opening spaces like this. this to me, this is fantastic. Yeah, you know, it's an important conversation. And what Go I ahead, also Jay. love, uh, what I love about what your wife describes is a contract that needs to be revised. So in the Jewish tradition, when we get married, we sign a wedding contract. It's the, it's called the ketubah. And I have to go back to our initial wedding contract to even see if household chores was even in the <laughs> initial contract. But certainly we're probably on contract revision 155 by now. You know, and as you've gone through your own contract revisions, I'm curious, uh, Sergio, at what moment did you feel as though you'd made progress in your own relationship when it comes to these issues? I always like to think about like it's a work in progress. Like it's it's about being better, being a better man, being a better spouse, being a better father, being a better citizen and human being. And and that's just my my way of living. But it wasn't easy. It wasn't easy from the beginning. There were some things that were defined and there were some things that we were learning as we grew. And in 2018, I decided to, well, we decided to, I was going to leave my job as a, as a social worker and I was going to uh, stay home taking care of Stella. She was uh, almost two at the moment. And that was like, okay, we know it's coming. We're moving. But, you know, I went ahead and I was like, you know what, financially, we we have the stability to make this decision. We have, you know, we're prepared. And I think I could start this a little bit earlier. So 
when we make the transition, it's a lot easier than, you know, just transitioning and then starting as a stay home dad in my case. So I decided, you know, this was the best way to approach my wife and talk to her, made the decision together, talked about the pros and cons. And it started like a whole new adventure on top of what I thought, uh, you know, I was making progress. But, you know, life throws different situations at you. We agreed that this was like, you know, short term thing or midterm that, you know, I wasn't I was going to be a stay home dad until my daughter started school. And then, you know, we could work our way around that. And that's why how it exactly went. I think at the beginning, uh, while we were making progress and seeing our child grow and she and seeing her being raised with a lot of customs and a lot of traditions that we wanted, second language, etc., there were some moments that never felt like, you know, we're making progress at the time. And, and I think when it comes to household chores or responsibilities in a relationship or in family, there are things that you make the investment and you definitely see the return like super fast. And there's some other things that you'll see the return over time. And that's what I'm looking at right now that my daughter's five, that she's about to have like her first little graduation. And, you know, she's, she's reading and she's going like through these faces, her tooth starting to get loose. And, you know, I'm there and I'm able to witness all these things since she was a baby. And my wife is happy that when she was away or she was just working in her office, there was one of us there to teach her these things. She didn't have to learn it from a stranger. We were able to do this just because of the communication that we had. And I could say all the progress that I made till now that I feel like we're in a good situation, it was because there were bad situations happening, small, sporadic situations that we needed to have more and more and more conversations because there were just a lot happening where they was around the household, the child, ourselves as a couple. I don't know if you know this, Lori, but I travel a lot. So that traveling time is also a good time to get away from the house and have these honest, open hearted conversations and kind of like, you know, level ourselves out and balance ourselves and start from there. And, And I think it recharges you. It's, you know, what we call the recharge time. I think we come out so recharged because we also let some things go. This automatically helps us look forward into the next step or stage. This episode of the Parents at Work podcast is brought to you by Ready, Set, Launch, a boutique career coaching firm that supports executives in career and retirement transitions, as well as building their professional services practices. I'm Jason Levin, and I've been supporting executives achieving their goals in the private, public, and nonprofit sectors for the past 10 years. Based on those experiences, I decided to write a book called Relationships to Infinity, The Art and Science of Keeping in Touch. We say keep in touch, but we struggle to do so. I wrote this book so that my readers could have proven research-based tactics to keep in touch and reap all the benefits. I'm excited about this book, and I know that you will too. Head over to readysetlaunch.net or connect with me on LinkedIn to learn more about the book. Be happy to learn more about your goals and your organization and how there might be a fit. Again, head over to readysetlaunch.net to get back in touch. Now, back to our episode. And I love how you see it as a work in progress. 
and that you're constantly evolving towards something better. And you're using that communication to be able to get to that better place. Okay, Sergio. So for those of you who aren't familiar, Eve Rodsky and Fair Play put out this deck of cards that basically lists 100 chores and things that we're all responsible for. And my question for you is, and I drew this one out completely at random, birthday celebrations for the kids. So first of all, when you think of birthday celebrations, what comes up for you emotionally from your own past? And then how do you and your wife navigate putting together these uh, family birthday celebrations? Oh, wow. That is something that triggers some things on uh, myself. It's cool that I, you know, I can recognize and I can talk openly about it. But, you know, I think it's been quite a journey in the celebrations. First year we did it in D.C. with our friends and the like close family that came and flew to D.C. for the first birthday. And then we decided, you know what? All of our families in Puerto Rico, let's have this crazy idea. Our daughter's birthday is three days before Christmas. We're like, well, we spend the holidays there. So let's... Um, fly there and let's celebrate her birthday. Mm -hmm. And the, you know, second birthday, it was like a huge, like 50 people. Our families are big, you know, it's mostly family cousins, like a couple of our kids, uh, our friends, kids, but then, you know, like huge cake, bouncy house. We decided to have the talk this year because it was her, you know, fifth birthday. So it's like, this is going to be the last one. We've been doing that. We've been traveling to Puerto Rico for every birthday and doing like a huge family birthday. So during COVID, uh, we did travel to Puerto Rico and we had like, you know, a close family birthday, but close family were kind of like a lot of people. And then this year we're like, okay, so she's five. Then she's starting school. Things are going to be different. So we had to have the conversation about, hey, like this is because my wife likes to to do this kind of birthdays. I love it, too. It's, a, you know, we make our efforts, but we had to have the conversation like, hey, we need to switch things up. They can't go on forever like this. We need to think about ourselves. We need to think about her school. We need to think about work and life. So. Uh, we had the conversation, kind of like a difficult conversation to have because it revolves around the holidays, not just around the birthday. And we had the decision that this year we're going to spend it at home and we're going to open our home to anybody who wants to come in. And uh, we're going to celebrate Stella's birthday in our house and we're going to come up with a theme and it's going to be super cool. But things, you know, have to evolve and change and we can't be forever, you know, celebrating those types of birthdays. And that also costs a lot, a lot, a lot of money to have like 50 <laughs> guests with food, drinks and bouncy houses and clowns and stuff like that. So Eve's work, she talks about conception, planning and execution. Who between the two of you would hold the card for that? And, you know, who's the one ordering the bouncy house and the, the cake? And how do you figure that out? Well, that that is definitely right. The plan. Um, I, I make the plan. I choose the date. And I communicate to the family when it's happening. And then my wife has like the support circle, which is like my my sisters and her brother. So we delegate They're like, oh, you're getting the bouncy house. You know, the bouncy house guy, like, please, you know, we've been using him now for four years. <laughs> like he already knows. And then, you know, this year we are like added popcorn, cotton candy. And we had like, you know, a musical like uh, guests come in. And all these things happen because kind of we delegate. But at the first, I remember the first birthday, it was a lot of stress because mm. we didn't know this kind of like this concept. And it was like we were trying to get each other to do a little bit of everything and nothing was getting done. 
So we decided, hey, like we know some people that are really good at birthdays. Can you help us out? It was the first one. And then, you know, it came to a huge success. But I think we're big on delegating. So we, you know, I come up with a conception part of the plan, choosing the day, communicating. And then my wife takes on. And then the execution is like all hands, like mm-hmm. everybody. Let's start work. Like we don't want no, nobody in the house that is not going to help. Like whoever's here, let's get your, you know, boots on the ground and, and let's start moving and working. So um, we kind of like develop this concept and we have other things that if you pull out another car, I might say to you, like, we're, we're doing the same thing. Like we, we tend to delegate or ask for help, mm-hmm. which is totally fine. And there's a lot of people always willing to help. Yeah, that's an important thing to model for sure. And also for your daughter to see that you're enlisting a village to do this. And she's a lucky, lucky girl. It sounds like you've got a lot of really great communication going on between yourself and your wife and you iterate when necessary and you make changes and you pivot and you just keep talking. For someone who's listening to this, who feels they're sort of suffering from a lack of communication and maybe they're struggling inside their own heads and feeling really annoyed about the work that they're doing and the other person isn't. How do you recommend starting the conversation? What do you think would be the best way for them to kick it off? Well, if you think about as soon as you walk into a place that kind of like stimulate some certain things, whether it's like you walking into a restaurant, you get that smell of the food or you're walking into like botanical garden and you see all the colors and the flowers. So I think the setting is very important. We have to be mindful of which setting we are. Is it our setting? Is it a setting that makes our significant other comfortable? Uh, be mindful. Uh, try to look for something that is neutral ground. That's the first thing. There isn't any responsibilities in that place that you're sitting or that you're spending or having the conversation at. I think another thing that I would say is Kind of like develop your own method of communication. Uh, the other day I was having a conversation with my wife via text and she was like in our room and I was down here in the studio and, you know, I was like, this is pretty good. And I said, I'm going to come up, like, let's finish talking. And we finished talking, you know, we were good, but the conversation started like via text. And I was like, you know, I don't see anything bad as long as it's effective communication. So kind of like determine what type of conversation this issue or, you know, needs. So I got this advice from my grandfather, very wise man who always said like, you see how your grandma has these like moments where you see me just thinking a lot. And I said, yes, I I noticed that like, you're not as responsive and as reactive as she is. And he said, that's because I choose the right moment to have the serious conversations. The rest is thinking about should I have a conversation about this? And if it like, if in 30 seconds I identify it's not a good way, then I let it go. And I, I saw this other concept of ask yourself why three times. And if by the third time you still have a case, then you need to have a conversation. Mm. So why, why? And then if you can't make up a third, then it means you shouldn't have a conversation. So I think It's also a lot of introspection, a lot of identifying what should really be communicated and what is something that we need to deal with ourselves. And and again, if I have an effective method is a method that we kind of like develop the both of us. And it's also identifying each other's feelings. And I'm a big feelings person. My wife 
is not a big feelings person. And there's certain times where I need to really express my feelings. And of course she has an answer for everything. And the other day I told her like, I don't, I don't need an answer. I just need you to hear me out. Just mm -hmm. listen to me. And I said, come on, let's have a cigar. And I'm a, I'm a cigar sommelier. So I deal with a lot of cigars. And you know what's really cool about having a cigar? That you have to commit to the time. You have to commit because you, you light it and you're not going to leave it and continue. You know, you just light <laughs> something up that's, you know, you're there. So we sat down and we're like, let's share this. And we spent at least like an hour talking. You know, we talk about our past. We talk about what's going on. And then we talk about the future. And it always turns to something positive. So find the setting, find the moment, open a bottle of something, have your favorite food. And, and then just be mindful that that setting is a setting that's comfortable for your significant other. And I think the communication will flow. You've already transported me to like a beautiful restaurant and I can smell the food. <laughs> I'm getting hungry. Okay. Over to you, Jason. I'm always hungry. So this is uh, brilliant. And I, lo I love your story of the, uh, your grandfather and the three whys. Um, as a career coach, there's an interviewing technique of the five whys, which is essentially the same thing. Why did you do that? Why did you do that? Why did you do that? And I also love how he practiced the sounds of silence. It sounds like he kept himself out of trouble in a lot of ways by not saying anything. So that's brilliant. You know, I'm curious, you know, you've, um, you know, clearly given a lot of thought, you've got a great deal of experience as a social worker and all of this. What do you see as one of the most common breakdowns you see in the division of labor and how do you advise parents to address it? Well, I think this is a conversation we need to start having with our children when they are small, uh, when they're little, when they are, you know, being educated. Um, I think, um, you know, something I like to say is that we as men were not presented with spaces and opportunities to talk about this or talk about fatherhood or talk about other things until we are confronted with the reality. I have a lot of friends who never talked about fatherhood and until they were already married. And guess what? They got the news. Hey, you're going to become a dad. So I think going back to having these conversations around the household labor around, you know, fatherhood, around uh, being in a relationship and could engage the children, but also can educate our family members uh, by by you developing your way. It kind of also shows grandpa, grandma, the uncles, the secondary household, like family circle that you're doing things different and you might be open to criticism at the beginning. They're going to criticize you. I was criticized for a lot of things. Until now, five years later, like I had my in-laws here when my wife was deployed and my father-in-law, who's about to be 80, he's like, you know what? I'm going to tell you this. You've done a heck of a job. Like, I'm so proud of you. But it, that conversation, you go back in time five years ago, it was like, we couldn't even talk. So by opening the communication and starting these conversations, we educate other people. Honestly, I think the the deck of cards that, you know, Eve Rotsky uses um, at Fair Play is a great tool because it's tangible. You can see it. It's sometimes all we need is something that says, here's this shore. And you immediately think about what am I going to do with it? And it immediately gives you uh, something that you need to create and you need to plan. Mm -hmm. And sometimes the biggest issue is visualizing these tasks because there's so many of them. 
that we can even divide them. And of course, now that you visualize them and you have them in a list or you have them in a card, you can also find somebody that's good for the task and you can find somebody that this task doesn't trigger anything or doesn't create an additional burden uh, out of, you know, just the primary responsibility of keeping a house, um, you know, how it should be, you know, however you think your house should be, then that's that's what the tasks are for. Now, gender roles. This is something very important. We need to have conversations about gender roles very early. I remember because I came from a home that my mom was a single mother. I had to do a lot of mopping. I had to I learned how to cook at 12 when my mom was pregnant in bed with my little sister and she had to lay in bed for like three months. And mm. we would have a walkie talkie and she would tell me what to put. And while she was pregnant with my little sister and had to be in bed, she would give me the instructions. At the end, that's how we knew, like, if it was good or not, I would take her <laughs> a plate. And, you know, so different life, different situations in life lead you to different things. And I think we should use those to our advantage. Mm-hmm. Now, being exposed, right, is one of the primary things. And you have the control over that. So exposure. Post yourself to other shores, to other tasks, and you might be feeling and putting yourself in the shoes of, of your significant other. Maybe you don't like to do the dishes or, you know, your spouse hates to do the dishes. You know what? Take over that duty and you will see maybe why he or she hates it so much. And you probably understand. So I think it's putting ourselves in different situations, which allows us to kind of like understand mm-hmm. and again, not only understand, but be proactive about it and say, hey, maybe we need a little bit help with this, this task or this short. Maybe you've been thinking about hiring, you know, a cleaning company for a while and you're like, I, I don't know. And I don't know about this. And guess what? Maybe that's the best option. Like, you know, for certain chores, I'm going to give an example. I cook and I cook like a different, like I cook, like they cook at a, at a chef's kitchen. Like, I use a pan and I use a spoon for that pan. And, you know, I could be cooking in four burners and, diff- and have like seven different spoons and have different things shop. And my wife is looking at me like, you don't clean as you go. <laughs> Guess what? There's a rule that whoever cooks doesn't clean at home. So, you know, that other person comes and supports. So she feels like when I cook, she has more on her plate, you know, to deal with than than when she cooks it and I just have it easy. So I was like, you know what I'll do? It's true. You're totally right. I make a huge mess. So we don't use the dishwasher because it's kind of like a cultural thing where like you use like the sponge and you just like, you know, hit those dishes hard. And it's like, and I'm like, why do I have to be like that? Like I know in a culture, people don't use dishwashers. But I have this like beautiful device here that I can use. So I I started cooking and I started putting things straight into the dishwasher and it makes our life easier. So good that she adapted it to. So we're both using the dishwasher and, you know, there's certain dishes like, you know, coffee mug or something that we just, you know, take care of it instantly. But sometimes you don't see the way and it's standing right in front of you and the Mm -hmm. way to open that road is just to put yourself in your significant other's shoes. Yes, we can use the technology in front of us and we have to be aware of the cultural narratives and stories that are telling us to do something or not, for sure. I also really love your emphasis on modeling for that next generation. I know Jason grew up being one of the only like guy babysitters on his block. And I think we don't expose kids to 
the caregiving enough when they're they're young. So in our family, we have definitely made it a point to make sure that the kids' babysitters and parents' helpers, et cetera, are both boys and girls. And I think, you know, taking those steps really helps model for the next generation. You know, the, the simple act, you know, we talk about roles. I love sourcing the babysitter. I love identifying <laughs> talent. Like as a career coach, I'm like, all right, where's my babysitting talent? And the simple ask of asking a 12, 13 or 14 year old boy, did you want to come babysit for us? And that simple ask gets them in the act of being a caregiver and beginning to think about themselves in a different way. And I think that too often babysitting is, you know, been predominantly just for teenage girls when in reality, both have the capacity to do it. Yeah. And I'm very grateful that Jason is the owner of the babysitter Rolodex in our house. Um, All right. So we're going to wrap up here, Sergio. We've got just a handful of rapid fire questions for you. Short answer. Uh, Jason, you asked the first one because it's your favorite question to ask everybody every day. Sergio, what'd you have for breakfast? I had a sunrise breakfast scramble, which was like turkey, eggs, potatoes, and, you know, a bunch of vegetables. Awesome. Like it. Nice. Um, What's your favorite thing to do without any children present? There's two things I love to do. I love to go bowling. <laughs> I set myself some leak time every every week, uh, which I'm not doing right now. It kind of helps me like break my week and just transition better. Some uh-huh. like self-care time. And I like to go to the cigar lounge and talk about cigars because of what I do. Right. So, of course, those two, I do it without kids. And it's just creates some so much needed like self-care time. It's just beautiful. I love it. Awesome. <laughs> That's awesome. awesome. Well, you know, I was part of a bowling league when I was seven years old and I had my own bowling ball and my own. <laughs> it was glorious. It was. I, so I respect your love of bowling. Uh, I didn't continue for many years afterwards, but I had an early childhood love of bowling. And even with the kids, I mean, we love sit and watch professional bowling. It's uh, kudos to you, Sergio, for finding joy in bowling, because I think it's great. And another thing why I do it alone is because my wife doesn't think it's a sport. Oh, that's not true. But you know what? You know what the crazy thing is? The crazy thing is I was in the national youth team in Puerto Rico. So I'm very, very good. Like, oh, wow. (laughs) Yeah. And and she still like doesn't give me credit. So I was like, you know what? I'll, I'll do it by myself. And I really enjoy it. And it's a great way to meet new people wherever we move. There's a bowling alley. Yeah. Sure. That's where I start meeting like, you know, new people. And it's just amazing. So watch out Charlottesville bowling. Alley. Here comes Sergio. <laughs> That's <laughs> um, awesome. What's your favorite thing to do with kids? Well, I love to do. Well, there's so many things I love to do with my daughter just because, you know, I was a stay at home dad and most. Of the things I needed to work on or do was with her. But yesterday, recently, we went to watch a movie and it was like a two hour and a half movie, which they're getting longer every time. And I thought, you know, she's going to get bored. But we actually went to the movies and had a great time. And I think that's going to be our thing. You know, we're going to make some time like daddy and daughter times to go watch some movies. Awesome. Love it. And what did you see yesterday at the theater? We watched that um, Dumbledore story yeah 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 yeah. it was super good um yeah i think it's like the fantastic beast it was a great movie you know it has that element of like the magic and she loved it and it was just very good we'll have to put that on our list okay what's your own personal least favorite household chore 
Folding laundry. Yeah, folding laundry. I think the, the dishwashing thing is resolved. <laughs> That's good. But the laundry is the least favorite now. I, I seen there's a machine that they're selling that folds your laundry. And I might think of making that investment in the near future or something. <laughs> I just haven't seen awesome. or met anybody that has one. So if somebody has one, just let me know. Awesome. Well, we'll make sure that they reach out. Okay, final question. What is your favorite technology to complete a household chore? Ooh, I had the dishwasher. I got to say that's the dishwasher <laughs> right now. It's just like right. the latest technology, at least for me, uh, loving it. And I love how the glasses come out. You know, there's nothing <laughs> that you can do manually that substitute that fresh, clean, like sparkle shine. The steam coming out. Yeah, yeah. exactly. <laughs> Beautiful. Well, Sergio, we've really, really enjoyed this conversation. Um, any final words of advice or wisdom that you'd like to share with our audience? Yeah, sure. I, I am super thankful of the opportunity to be here. You know, I encourage everyone to make time and space for communication. Take care of yourself. If you don't take care of yourself and you're not in a good position, then how are you going to be able to take care of others? And, and the other thing would be do what works for you. You know, mm -hmm. we have so many tools around for you to use. So identify those tools that are good for you and then develop your own mechanism and develop your own ways. And I think the key to success when people ask like, what's the key to success? I think there's no key that can be passed on. There's different tools that can be passed on. But at the end, you have to build your own key to success so you can open that door and take all in and, and, and just go all the way and enjoy your time as a person, as a couple and as a parent and just write your own story. Awesome. And you are an amazing example of the you do you theme. Sergio, I love this and really, really enjoyed getting a chance to talk to you. Sergio, hail to bowling, hail to cigars, and hail to all the different types of cooking that you do. I, I love how you bring together uh, the different aspects of your personality uh, and your, really your commitment to communication, both with your spouse and, and how you think about things and how you think about things in the home. Uh, so kudos to you. It's been a real pleasure to be with you today. Thank you. Thanks, everybody, for listening. We're so glad you joined us for this episode. If you found it helpful, please, please, please tell a friend about it. Forward the link. As write a short review or you know, click on the review button on whatever app you found us on. And we look forward to being with you again next time on the Parents at Work podcast.